All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Welcome back to part two of this very exciting program we have today, which is Deconstructing the Brown Eminence, which was Martin Bormann. And we have with us the investigative journalist Lawrence de Mello. And we've been all over the place today, but there's many loose ends. And I think where we are at the timeline now is that we've agreed that Bormann has returned to, he's been let loose by the British, and he's gone to Brazil and Argentina. But before we continue with that timeline, uh, Lawrence, I have a few questions for you. All right. Um, Let's start with, we were talking about the evidence for his survival, and you mentioned, I noticed you mentioned one thing that we haven't addressed in any other shows yet. So I wonder if you can expand upon that, and that's the dentistry lead. Yeah. I never managed to track him down. And his name was Hugh Thomas, and he was a professor of pathology and dentistry. And he was one of the chaps that analysed the actual dentistry at the time of uh, later on when they were doing all the forensics. And he actually wrote a report that the some of the dentistry within the jaw of Martin Borman, and I do believe it was Martin Borman they found in 72, mm-hmm. was actually... Um, dentistry that could only have been performed post sort of 1950 because you know how dentistry sort of changes and it gets you know more right and it evolves yeah it evolves so that was you see what happened was when they found the corpse and they used Hugo Blask initially because they didn't have DNA then mm-hmm. well they had DNA but they didn't have the analysis um, they used the dentist of Borman and he was also the dentist of Hitler uh, Hugo Blask to, from memory, um, do a sketch of Borman's jawline and teeth, et cetera, et cetera. So he did that and they they identified that. And as you know, what they did, they published Martin Borman, corpse is found. Mm. But they failed to include, obviously, that there were irregularities for the timeline as to him dying in 1945. But what automatically happened was uh, everybody assumed, oh, well, they found him there where they said he died in 45 and that he'd been there all ever since but he hadn't he'd been re- he'd been uh, taken back there and there were yeah. uh, some very yeah important events very clumsy way to try to to i believe they were in a hurry because this was a desperate reply to manning and farrago's book because people were starting to get turned around by that and so they needed to come up with some debunking, right? Well, yeah, I think they waited for him to die. Um, and then they waited for the, the right time. They had to put in the planning, remember, for... Mm. Remember where he was found? You remember the details how he was found? He was actually found where workers were actually constructing for this the Ulup playground or something. They were building a playground or, or something on there. So planning permission had to go in first. So I do believe that that planning permission was all prepared, ready to put him back when the time was right. And then I had to push it up uh, in the schedule because of these books yes. that came out. Yes, mm. 
Mm. Makes sense. Yes. You know, they say, okay, the piglet is down or the white rabbit is down. Let's put everything in order. Somebody puts planning permission in. It takes 10 months or whatever. I, I think he probably died in probably 1968. That early? Yeah. 69, maybe, yeah. Mm. No, not 71. But there is this bank note. You know about the banknote? No, tell me about those. There is uh, his signing. There's a paper trail for Bowman from 45 all the way, I think it's up to 1970. I think it's 1970. Uh, and I believe. Oh, you're, you're, you're talking about the, the banking receipts and et cetera. With his signature and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's another thing. You see, you have this stuff here, but it's going to be ignored because they say, well, how can you prove this is genuine? Um, and also the you have also you're talking also about the receipts that were held here by in Argentina, um, and it tells how much gold it was, and it was actually signed by um, one of the not a cardinal, but he was a priest from the Vatican. You know the the guy that signed this was also connected to the church. Right. One of these, a few of these papers, but we have that. But Al, how can we prove it? He did get out. There's only one way we're going to be able to prove this, yeah. and that's through science. And that is what my objective is, to track down, which I believe I have now. And it could, I could be completely wrong that this lady in, a, in the USA is actually one of the children, but I think there's a lot of... Oh, people. so she's in the USA? One is, yes. Then it's not the one they, they uncovered in the Hunting Hitler show. Of course not. There's probably a million uh, daughters. <laughs> I don't know if that one they produced in the Hunting Hitler series was just something to go along with. Because remember, it came out after I published the fact that I have a girl. Yeah. And, 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 you know. Well, take a look at it. Who knows? I mean, you're closer to her. Well, so you should check it out. I'll send you the link, by the way, when this is over. Yes, yeah, send me the link. Because I'd be interested to see the series. As I said, mm. I've seen a couple of bits. And of course... In fact, the producers were going to send me, but I said, look, don't worry, they're too heavy, the files. So I haven't even seen um, the interview that I... Put in. You have to be patient because it's very baby steps of progression. And they're spoon-feeding you. Most of it you know already. But it started to get interesting when they went over to Bormann because it was all about Hitler in season one. But in season two, they started to face over to Bormann. And by the way, uh, we have to recap another thing. Just for those who aren't that familiar, I mean, 50% of our listeners are American, actually, not Norwegians. So, really? Yes, so we're popular there. And they are very deep into to this. Uh, I have to be very careful what I say now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if something is on the internet, it will never go away. Of course. Well, then I'm saying there's no love lost between Great Britain. <laughs> <laughs> but they should know that, you know, you know, we're still paying. You know, we only finished paying the bill for the the loan that we had in 1946 from the USA Jeez. for all the hardware that we had from the USA. But they assume, and I have to tell you, my American cousins, we actually paid for all of that. You know, it yeah. wasn't a freebie from you guys. All the it was great you came in the war, and it's great you came and helped us. But we paid the bill. We really did. We we actually so much for the Marshall help, huh? Yes. 2006, we finished. 2006, it took us. I but think I, still... I hear Germany is still paying to Israel. Oh, I don't know about that. Reparations? Well, I think so. I think they're still paying. I do hope, and everyone who lived back then is dead. I do hope the debt is over then. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Otherwise, it's only a serfdom. Yeah, but anyway, so let, let's get back to Borman, because I know that's actually what, what you're interested in. Yeah. So I tracked down Martin Borman. My personal belief is he went to Brazil. 
He went to Mengel. If he meets up with his pal Mengel, who was in um, Candida Godoy doing his genetic stuff, now we know he was there. Um, you've got all the evidence. You've got all the twins and the blonde, blue-eyed babies there. Yeah. Even today, it's the town with more twins than anywhere else, I think, certainly over here. Um, yeah. And that was Mengele's uh, speciality, twins. That so. was his speciality, genetic, mm. genetic, gen- and he was obsessed with it. So if you've got your pal, remember they were obsessed with the Fourth Reich and the, the creating the Aryan race. What Doesn't it make sense that whether it was artificial insemination or natural insemination, Mengele is going to say, okay, could you inseminate these women or that woman or whatever? Mm. Yeah, but I think Bormann would insist on the biological method because he was a womanizer. (laughs) He was actually. He was a womanizer, I believe. And I mean, fathered lots of children. And there are stories about he had a lover here in Buenos Aires, this lady, um, which my colleague told me. Okay, so you you do concede that he lived in Argentina. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you're just saying that he, he spent the first six years in Britain, then Brazil, and then he went to Argentina, presumably. I think he first went to Brazil. He yeah. went to Brazil because they had a rat line that went through Brazil. Then he came over and down, probably through the triple frontier, and he went to Buenos Aires. He was received in Buenos Aires by Peron, and he was installed in the Plaza Hotel in Buenos Aires, which was owned by Germans. Uh-huh. It was the equivalent of the most luxurious hotel in Buenos Aires at the time. But didn't he hook up with, with Hitler, or did he never live in Bariloche, you think? What do you think about no, that? No, I don't believe he had anything to do with Hitler after that. Hmm. I, don't, I don't believe he had anything to do with him after that. So he abandoned Hitler completely then? He didn't need him. What did he need him for? I don't think he needed him. No. And he's not going to... He He's on a mission now. He's got a mission. His mission's changed. So I think he came down. He was installed in the Plaza Hotel. And that is where it comes in with my connection, who is the commissioner, George Silvio Colotto, right. who uh, died in 2013. And he was the... He was an ADC to seven Argentine presidents. Wow. From Farrell to Onganier, seven, through the whole lot of them. But he was particularly close to Evita's brother, Juan Duarte. And he was working for the intelligence services and the police, a Korea military man. And he was very young at the time when he was with um, Peron. And he was called to office saying that he had to, there was a duty he needed to do. And of course, they never ask any questions. It's on a need-to-know basis. And he needed to look after this particular person. And he also needed to go make sure they were safe, uh, accompany him in the street, not in cars, walking. And he also was sent on, I think, every three weeks to a month to go and pick up the bill, invoice, the charge, the room service and everything from the Plaza Hotel Mm. and take it directly to Peron and Peron paid it out of his personal funds. He actually. Do you believe they didn't want any economical trail to Bormann? So that's why. What do you mean? Well, I mean, if Bormann paid him, obviously he had the finances to pay for himself, but did they pay in order to cover or was it just like... Well, it's normal. You go anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter if you've got money or not. If you're the guest, Mm. the guest normally picks up the tab. You know, if you go and stay somewhere, any... You mean a host. The host picks up the tab. Uh, Sorry, sorry. The guest, um, yeah, the host picks up the tab. Sorry. And that's normal that Peron would have said, sent somebody and said, bring me his, his bill and everything. Right. And also, so that, and it keeps Borman in a position that he's in a lower profile. He doesn't have to be dealing with monies at the desk. Mm. 
But this guy, he, he met Borman then, obviously. He must have seen him. Absolutely. And he mm. accompanied him. And he told me that he first met him in a house in Buenos Aires. And he was standing outside and uh, he had to take the chap in. And there was this two-hour meeting between Peron and Borman. And then he had to sort of, he came out and he sort of accompanied up the street to go. He didn't even get in the car. Hmm. Um, and he describes, he knows it was Borman. I mean, now he says it was Borman. I said to him, why did you never talk about this before? And he said, I felt that it was betraying Perron to talk about it now. Oh. And he revealed this to me in his later years. On condition that you couldn't go out with it before he died, right? That's right. You know about, how did you know about that? And that's a very, that just shows that he wasn't out for attention or anything. In fact, he he <laughs> he had to honor his pledge, or maybe fearing for his life. Who knows? Or maybe both. Well, no, not for his life. I think he was concerned about his family. And right, right. what he did, he made it really difficult. He said, "Okay, I'll say right to make it safe for you. If I do this in your lifetime, I have to give you X amount of money." And we knew that X amount of money would be absolutely impossible. Mm. But there was also a, a, an enormous amount of trust because. I'd built up a relationship with him over a, a um, couple of years. And he asked me, before I asked him about the Borman stuff, to do a translation of his memoirs into English, which it never happened because it, it got very complex. Mm. And there were lots of various reasons going on. And it was only towards the end of that that I said to him, George, you have to talk about this. And we discussed it. So I was very fortunate that he trusted me with that information. That's quite a scoop. I've seen the interview online or just a trailer for it. What I did, actually, what I did, and it served a purpose, you see, I totally hacked it to death <laughs> because I wanted to draw attention to it. And, of course, that's why Hunting Hitler came for me because they knew I had it. So I gave them the un some of the unedited. They actually, they've got a lot of it there okay. um, and they use some of it. And the, the reason I put it on there so it couldn't re not put to be reproduced, but, of course, you've got to turn people on yeah. to – to ask what and this is not all about money i mean if it was about money alf i'd be in a much better position than i am and you probably know this a lot of the researchers like myself investigators we live sort of hand to mouth because we you're spending more money than you're earning on these things <laughs> yeah and we work so off we're so off the grid yeah. we're so off the grid because you cannot rely on on um one fixed sponsor because you can't trust them you don't know what their agenda is no, which is why you have to produce movies and books. And I'll ask you about that at the end. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think you're, you, you, you need to come out with, with some stuff because this is hot right now. But let's re rewind. His name is, uh, what was it? Uh, His name is, uh, who are you talking about? The commissioner? Yeah, the old uh, Peron. Uh, George Silvio Colotto. C-O-L-O-T-T-O. -T -T yep. And he was a brilliant man. He was a really good man. He was imprisoned at one point because he went against the government. Um, he was also participant in a, a great deal of the dismantling of the narcotic traffic that went up here on the Triple Frontier in the 90s. Which means that he's an enemy of the CIA then, I guess. Well, yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, but a very brilliant man. Also, dangerous man. These are men that can pick up the phone yep. and make things happen. Mm. Um, but there is a change of the guard. I was talking with somebody about this the other day. I give information to, and they say, "But why, why now? And why didn't? Why did some come out with not?" And I really do believe the old guard, the old school, the old boys' network, mm. which my father or probably your father were part of, 
they did really do things in good faith. I really do believe Churchill did things in good faith. He did mm. some really dastardly things. You do. What is it they say? All is fair in love and war. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm. So you do some really, really weird things. But I do believe they did it in good faith with the idea that we, you and I, we can live in a democratic, free world, a fair world. There's a new guard, both in the, the intelligence services and both what's going on. And these are the dangerous ones, this cabal. Mm. These are the, Okay, yes, there's always been a cabal. But when it comes to the intelligence services, now they're all mashed up together. They weren't before. Mm. Okay. They're, yeah, they're in, like I said to you before we started, they're inbreeding. Yes. They're, they're degenerating. Yes, yes. yes. And uh, and they're they're also sort of a breakaway culture. They so at least you know there's black ops behind black ops. We talked about that too. Yeah. And uh, I believe you need to have one foot in in society to have some sort of identification. But the real problem, as I see it, is that. When they were so almost criminally neglect or naive to let Martin Bormann go, if they didn't have any leverage over him that they could control him, then they kind of are complicit in what happened because he built up this huge empire economically. But they were part of it. Yeah, so they're in bed. They weren't negligent. That's the whole point. They, he was their account. He went out and did the stuff to, he needed to do. You know, and they'd had him long enough. Yeah, money money went through uh, Dulles Company. What's it called um, in Wall Street? Dulles. Yeah, what's it called again? Um, ha- um, Hallam- <laughs> what they called it. Oh, God. Sullivan and Cromwell, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so, it's a big con- but that's just one one of the... One of many tentacles. I one know. of very many. As I said, Yuki Goni said 750 companies. So... 750. Do, do you have any idea of how many money they started out with? I've heard different figures. No, I, no, I haven't. I haven't that I haven't I don't think anybody can really have an idea. Well they might have an idea, but I know where a lot of the money went. But we're talking billions. But the other stuff we're actually talking billions. Oh yeah, absolutely, of course. And that's in nineteen forty five Valuta. Yeah, I know. The thing is the findings on the dollars link between Borman and the USA is entirely correct. It's entirely correct. Sure. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, I, I want us to to touch base with Heinrich Müller. Oh, because that's uh, another famous. Now, do you know? I'm just wondering if I'm a solipsist because you said divine providence. This is coming into my hands yeah. now. I have to be careful. I do have to change some things on this because it's so embryonic. Okay. It could be a total long shot. Uh-huh. So, obviously, Heinrich Müller, who was the chief of the Gestapo, nasty piece of work, uh, he disappeared. Nobody, they also think that he actually left the Führer bunker, don't they? They believe that he was in there as well. He disappeared. In fact, some detectives are tracing him and Kammler, yeah. that those two were escaping together. And there are some interesting um, evidence for that. Well... There was an article that came up, which I found a little bit disturbing. Here we go again, back to sort of, it's not Simon Wiesenthal, but okay. there was an article saying that they had found, I think it was a memorial to the German resistance. Mm-hmm. And there's this chap, Johannes Tuchel, or Tuchel, I don't know how you pronounce it. He's claiming that Muller's body has been found in a mass grave in a Jewish cemetery in Berlin Mitte. Oh, yeah, that's right. right? I remember, yeah. Now, Typical uh, debunking uh, story. Right. Now, 
I heard about that. Now, let me tell you what happened to me. And this may sound absolutely ridiculous. It's quite, it sounds ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. I have to tell let's just say a merchant who I buy things from, okay? A real genuine merchant, mm-hmm. very nice man. And I have to pay him time to time to do things as one does on a farm. Mm-hmm. And he knows, he doesn't really know what I do. He knows that I write mm. and he thinks I probably write things in the newspaper, you know, about the Kardashians or something. <laughs> and we were chatting one afternoon in the sunshine and he said to me, but what are you working on? And I said, I sort of slipped in. I said, oh gosh, I've been all night dealing with the German intelligence network. And he said, oh, I met, I knew one of them. I said, oh really? Wow. He said, yeah, I knew one here. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing, Al. I mean, this sounds really mad, even that it happened to me. I remember coming in afterwards, what happened to me, and I was like, this is not real. Synchronicities happen. Let's just accept it. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I knew one of these. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, a long time ago. And I said, what was that? He said, yeah, because I used to go to his home, and he was also working for this chap doing things in his home. Mm. And he said, it was a long time ago. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, I know he was. He said, because he was very old, little tiny old man, never spoke, big nose, a tiny thing, beady eyes. I said, oh, yeah. And he said, but I know he was a very important Nazi. I said, well, what makes you think that? Because I was going, ooh, ooh. what makes you think that? He said, well, one day I had to do something in his room. He said, but he had two homes. He had one home in the country, which I can't reveal where it is. Uh, One home in the country, a small little sort of, place you know with a, about four acres a couple of dogs and chickens and rabbits and honey honey now we know that eichmann was also doing that stuff rabbits and honey beekeeping when he was here beekeeping yeah mm-hmm. so he said to me yeah he used to give me pots of honey and uh, he couldn't speak very good he just spoke a few words of spanish and um i said what was his name he said well not many people knew his name but he always used I always used to call him Mula. I said, well, oh, okay. <laughs> the bell rang already there, right? I'm not thinking. Because <laughs> I was thinking, oh, okay, no. Too good to be true. He said, yeah, well, it was Mula because I had to do some papers for him for something when he did this reconstruction. Yeah. So, and they're not that clever. Let me tell you what I'm saying. They were so arrogant, these guys. Now, it may not be what I'm saying. They didn't even use uh, code names, huh? Or pseudonyms. But it gets be- this gets better. This gets much better. So Okay, yeah. I'm starting to sort of break out in a very, ladies don't sweat, we glow, but I'm sweating. <laughs> so I said, oh, really? He said, well, I said, what makes you think that he was a Nazi? Did you have conversations? Because I'm trying to be very, you know, not like excited because I didn't want him to shut down on me. Of course. He said, no, I was in his bedroom one day and he said he had this beautiful framed picture by his bed, you know, like so eight by 10 or something. Mm. And he said, there he was in this silver frame, black and white photograph, his head, sh- he said he had all this thing on, you know, with the, with the, he said, with the, the skull on the top. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. And he was really smart, shiny boots on. And he even had like an iron cross around his neck. <laughs> mm. I said, whoa. And he said, yeah, it was very funny though, but he had shaved the sides of his head. His side of his head was shaved. Wow. So I then thinking, oh my goodness me. So I said, what was he? So I tried to slip him. I said, was he very tall? He was a tall guy. Was he? he said, no, no, he was very small, beady, long nose. Now we know that Muller was tiny, right? Could be anyone. Mm. So I decided to set him up. Now, first of all, I asked him about the property. 
And he was very nervous then. He got a bit nervous when I asked him where it was. Mm. And there's a reason I can't reveal on here, but basically the property's been handed over to an organization to protect certain people, right. which is interesting, the very property. Yeah. And the main house was razed to the ground. Now, Eichmann's house was razed to the ground. Mengel's house was razed to the ground. Is that to get rid of evidence then? No idea. No idea. Mm. Maybe just to cover it over and pretend it was never there. You know, I don't know. Mm. But he told me he had two properties. He had one in this place, which is actually not very far from me, and one in um, Buenos Aires, in, there, in a wealthy part of Buenos Aires. Mm. He told me he had a wife. He had no children. The wife died before him. He died when he was very old. And I said, well, he said, oh, this was years ago. He said, I think this was in the late 80s, he said. So... I thought, how am I going to approach this? Because I need to know. And he said, you know, did he after? Oh, so when he said about the photograph, he said, oh, what a beautiful photograph. Because he's in Argentine. They don't give a damn about Nazis. It's not like mm. oh, Nazi. He said, oh, you were a very important man. What a wonderful uniform. You must have been very important. <laughs> and he sort of hustled across the room and quickly took the photograph and put it flat in the drawer. And he said, that's not me. That's not me. He said, come on, you don't need to be shy. You can see it. He said, no, it's not. It's a cousin of mine. <laughs> After that, he shut up. He wouldn't invite him back. He was the only man that could do the job he needed to do, and he didn't talk to him after that. Um, he died, and the house was raised to the ground, but part of the property was handed over to a government organization. Mm. Now, I'm at the point at the moment where I'm trying to, because I, I'm not going to take that on face value, and the way I can do this is actually, actually, I'm not going to say what I'm doing, so... No, but you're trying to corroborate it, right? Yeah, of course. Mm. Now, what I did before I even go to that effort, because this is just a name, this is just a face, and this is just a bit photograph that I haven't seen. Yeah. So I said to him, come over one day. I'm just curious. I said, because I'd like to know, maybe that man is part of my work. It could have been that, you know, I didn't make out some big guy. And I set him up with about eight photographs of different guys in uniforms, mm. which included Himmler, and this one, and that one. And I gathered various photographs of each character with some photographs in, civi in civilian clothes, also in uniform, and a couple that you can get. And I mixed them all up. Mm. And on my Mac, as you go across on the, on the photo viewer, you know, like click, click. And I said, if you recognize any of these faces, two he missed of him, And then three, he recognized. The others, he didn't recognize. He said, that looks like him. He said, but he was very, very old. When I knew him, he was very, very old. But I think that's him. And he actually picked out from this group of, I'm sorry about the dog, this group of Nazis. Sorry. But but he picked up five uh, photos of uh, Mueller. He recognized yes. five. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. You want to take care of the dog or? Um, what, should we shoot it or? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't. If something is up, maybe check on him. Okay, so I, I do apologize. All right, wait a second. You, if you don't behave, you're going out. I'm sorry about that. Okay, back on track before we move on in the timeline. Okay. Where were we? Um, ah, Mueller. Yeah. Yes, go on. Because anything considering Mueller is interesting. Yeah. All right, then. Let's go. So, so Mueller, then, if we are to believe this lead, then Mueller must have been operating in Argentina, too. Do you think he was in touch with Bormann? Um, okay. I'm not even going there, Al. I'm not even looking at that. But if you think about it, I'm not even going that far down there. I mean, this is just something that dropped into my lap. Mm. It may have nothing to do with him. 
But the fact the way this man revealed this stuff to me, and he got a little bit nervous afterwards when I asked for some details, I need some information. And I explained to him, look, it's just part of my history thing. And he said, well, the neighbor, he gets very nervous about it. Um, you need to meet him really because he was very close to him, the neighbor of this chap neighbor. who's still around, who was much younger. Mm. And he sort of befriended him like a son. Uh, he said, I need to have a chat with him, but he gets very nervous about it. He's very protective. Mm. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's not a problem because I'm not going to put the pressure on. But what I'm thinking, why would he not be here? He disappeared without trace. Most of them got here. A large majority got here. Why wouldn't he be there? Mm. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. And also the fact that this, very convenient that this chap, this uh, Tuchel says that he's in this mass grave. Again, Jewish cemetery, of course. That, that They have to put that on yeah. to, to put the lid on it. <laughs> um, and I don't know where he comes. Maybe, maybe he's got some really good information. I don't know. And I can't criticize the man but i have to follow this lead and see where it goes absolutely you should talk with the neighbor well well of course um but i can't go too far into it now because i will get cheese wired and i've got too much well it's unfinished business but you're on it i think it's very i have to tell you it's very compelling there is more to it than that Mm -hmm. but i can't reveal that it's compelling enough that we think we've made some sort of grounds on that But it it wouldn't surprise me at all. But then again, of course, him being here has got nothing in comparison to Borman. No. I mean, Borman is the main man. He's the main man, as you say, the brown eminence. He is the man. Yeah, but what what we're interested in isn't so much to know where a random Nazi dude ended up in his old age. What we're interested in is to see who was on board with the Borman Brotherhood, the Borman Reich, yeah, and that went on to found this enormous machine, this this specter, this octopus, this uh, spinner that uh, has taken over the world, basically. So, yes. so if Mueller was in the loop, we're not going to dismantle that. You do know that it's just like the Diana thing. We're not going to be able to do that. But all we can well, do it is- begins with awareness, doesn't it? Of course it does. But mm. there are certain things we are not going to be able to do. It's just not going to happen. There are things and ways that are put in place. Yeah, but all empires fall, Lawrence. Let's hope. And uh, I mean, um, maybe not in our lifetime, but uh, don't underestimate the power of uh, information, awareness, critical mass, plus another thing. If the economy completely fails so much that you have to start from scratch, these people have not that much power anymore. Well, I agree with you. And hasn't the dollar already gone down? How many percent in the last? I don't know. Oh, we need we need a world crack. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's we've also got war looming on the horizon, haven't we? <laughs> it's, it's there all the time. Possibly. <laughs> Um, but yet, no, on the contrary, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't yeah. think that, there, that we have an objective. And the right. objective is is about the truth exactly. and about – I tell you where, what really – do you know somebody asked me the other day that I'm working with and they said, but Lawrence, why do you do this? Why about Borman? What is this about? This is not about – I can tell you, Al, this is not about money because I tell you what, it, it doesn't feed me this at all. On the contrary, it puts mm. me in almost poverty. And risk for your life. And also travels and DNA. and Because mm. I had to get DNA from people in America. And I've also had to track down people on the other side of the planet, who I believe is one of Borman's girls. I've got her and she's on board. So that would be interesting. Mm. 
wouldn't that be great if we get a match between the lady in the USA, the adopted girl, and one of the legitimate children? Wow. Um, so I do feel very angry that children at school, particularly in the West, we grew up in this belief that, you know, like I grew up in a military family, but even so anybody, cowboys and Indians, goodies and the baddies. Mm. Uh, I remember praying about the Jerry's and we'd all hide from the Germans. <laughs> We too in Norway too because we were occupied, right? So right, exactly. Yeah. In fact, I used to play that because I I was educated in Malaya because my father was at submarine base there in Singapore, and I used to play Germans in actual um, fallout air raid shelters at, because of the Japanese the, the <laughs> conflict in World War Two there. Yeah. So we grow up with that idea that everything we say is right and all the other side are bad, and this is also black and white, yeah, black and yeah. white. But what really annoys me is how if anybody, who are the historians that are teaching our children? And if you raise your head, Farago, Manning and... Stevenson. Uh, Stevenson, right, okay. Mm. All these men, all of these guys that know their, their stuff, a group of very qualified men, legal team that came to Buenos Aires with Ladislas Farago mm. and looked at all this stuff. And then Stuart Stevens of the Daily Express, he publishes that and they're all character assassinated they're all lunatics they don't know how and that's if they're lucky yeah yeah if they're lucky they, they don't end up like manning's son mm. and what do you do you get somebody like guy walters who responds in a newspaper article absolute rubbish you know who are you i'm a historian where do you get your historical facts from mm. who feeds you the information because do you know what Let's be honest about this. The majority of historians today are just picking up material that's been written before them. Oh, yeah. They're not no, going... But, but history was never a science. It was never a science. It's an interpretation art, right? Yes, of course it was. And, and by the way, like Levanda actually said on a show we had with him, he said that facts and truth are different. Truth is built up by facts. But if you have a lot of facts, that doesn't mean you, uh, you necessarily have the you truth. Have the truth. Right? That's, a very, that's so, a very good statement, actually, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's like a puzzle. We need to find the right bits. We need to find all the bits, and they need to fit, and you can't force them in place. And uh, science also tells us that if you can falsify something, you have to reevaluate your picture, right? But that's yeah. not what's going on, especially not in history. In quantum physics, maybe. But in history, they try to suppress facts because they don't fit the uh, forced image they're building yeah and so what can we do we have to shoot them down so they don't even need intelligence uh, agents to to pull the treads anymore they it's like a self-maintaining um, illusion they're all uh, on board in and they've invested what 20 years of their career and everything is on the line here right oh, well, of course uh, comes a naive guy like um, we talked about before today the one who debunked hitler diaries what's his name again um, david yeah Irving comes a, comes a guy like Irving, right? And you see what happens to him. Yeah. So, but you know, truth will out eventually, and uh, programs like this, I think, can contribute to to the greater yeah. picture. And research such as yours is so important. Maybe in that regard. Now let's let's go back to to Borman in Argentina. Okay. We haven't said anything about. I mean, where we are now is that we've established that he's alive and he's in Argentina. 
Yeah, he came to Buenos Aires. So he was here at the end of 1952, he was here. And he was loose? Do you believe he was loose or do you believe they kept tabs on him? Well, when you say loose, he had freedom to move around and do his thing. But of course, he was. they had tabs on him. They were following him. Uh, and in fact, somebody that I'm close to, and also Colotto confirmed this with me, and also another captain that I'm in touch with now, mm -hmm. used to be the captain of the Port of Buenos Aires, actually worked for the CIA. And he told me the CIA were keeping tabs on him well into the late 60s here. Hmm. But did any of them know he, what he was up to? Or do you believe he had that much autonomy that he could do whatever he wanted without them necessarily knowing it? Well, I think he... Well, if he's working with the same guys that are running the CIA, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're probably saying just keep an eye on him, who he's meeting, who he's not meeting, but he's working with them. Mm. He's working for the ones that got tabs on him. So but that's the question, you see. Uh, who's working for who? Who knows? Mm. Who knows? Who are you working for? Who knows? <laughs> One never knows. Posterity. <laughs> <laughs> like me then, join the club. Yeah. Um, we, I, don't, I can't answer that. I don't know. All I can know is I love documents, Al. I love documents. Mm. And there's nothing like documents, really, or genuine documents to give you a, a, a part of a puzzle that is legitimate. So, as, as I said, what I said to my colleague the other day, I'm not going to fill in, I'm not going to make up the bits I don't know, because it's completely detrimental to what I'm trying to do. Of course. And it would be dishonest. But you're not afraid to speculate, as long as you're open with that's what you're doing. Yeah, there are certain points you do guess, because you say you've got those three things on the table, and the only only possibility, for example, you've got water in the middle, he had to cross the water, you understand? Then mm. you say, well, how he did it, we're not quite sure, could it be that? So... Of course, you've got to speculate. You have to, but you've got to do it in a measured and responsible way. And what's happening, and listen, I probably get lots of things wrong. I know I get lots of things right. But the danger we have today, and it's great we have lots of people that are researching, investigating, and that's good. But with this enormous wave of truthers and wayseers, there's some wonderful work going out there, but there's also a lot of dangerous stuff going on that is total... Disinformation. Mm. But not not always deliberate disinformation. A lot of it is because people want to think they know and they read a little bit and they assume everything's okay and mm. then they add it all up and it's all wrong. So, you know, you, they've got to take the time, but you and I are very privileged because we're not doing anything special. It's just that we are privileged enough to be able to dedicate our time to this it's true not many people have time no most people have to focus on getting money to feed the children or whatever they've got to do or and it's hand to mouth so they go out work all day as we know that's what the plan is that they're all sort of slaves busy, busy. and all all in debt and you come home you're absolutely shattered you've probably got two hours you've got you haven't even got the energy to make love with the wife <laughs> And you probably pick up the TV control, you zap a few times. So do you really want to sit down and read, you know, 20 chapters? Oh, I have to correct your, your narrative there, because that's the old way. Uh, today, everything you say is identical, except fewer and fewer are picking up the TV instead of tuning into the Internet. And some of them, oh, that's true. And some of them may pick up this program. 
And because you and me have the time and interest and resources to, to put focus on this, then they can get the end product, yeah. right? And that's how we help educate our brothers and sisters who, yes. who don't have the... No, I agree with you. That is happening. Mm. That is happening. But we still have that problem when people are tired. Yeah, and who are the ones that are tuning in here? All sorts of people all over the world. It's interesting, by the way, that uh, I've seen that in Bariloche people are tuning in. Uh, we've talked a lot about Bariloche, well, partly because of Ronald Richter and the Nazi bell. You probably dig look, you know, about that, right? And Humil Island. I know very much about that, but I'm always asked. I have to be really honest, Al. These things I know about mm-hmm. the dollies, the the Glock, the German technology, the anti-gravitational technology. Yeah. It's all great. But if I distract myself, mm-hmm. I can't spread myself. So True. That's why I don't do the finance. I focus specifically on seeing if I can track down if he really was here. And if we could prove he was here, then, as I said, that would be great because we prove, we say, well, here's the proof. We know he was there. Right, guys, where's the money? Yeah. Or, as I've said before, how is it possible in this digital age of forensics and communication and access to everything that you're doing, they even know what color your knickers are, <laughs> How is it possible since 1945, nobody has tracked down these funds? There's enormous wealth, yes, yes. Where is it? They know where it is because they're managing it and it's growing. So if it was legitimate that they were looking for it, they didn't know where it was, they would have found it, but Mm. they haven't. Well, they have. Absolutely. They know everything. There's no secrets anymore. Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, but that's like asking them to out themselves, right? So well, of course it is, and that's the whole point. We know there's a hidden agenda. We know it's hidden. Mm. So when people sort of say, "Oh, oh, why is it important?" It's such a long time ago. Yes, it's very important because, as I say, I believe it leads to the European Union today. The agenda of the European Union, the one world government. We're back to the fourth mm. right. Bilderberg, all that stuff. Bilderberg. Mm. Have you spoken to my dear friend and colleague Tony Goslin? Uh, I exchanged. So mails with him, I wanted to interview him, but uh, we never got around to follow up on that, being so preoccupied. But I have him on my radar. He's the man to talk to. About the heritage of, of uh, all this. About the financial trap, because that and Bilderberg. I mean, I mean, okay. Tony really knows his stuff on that. I mean, he's yeah, but, really... But I was a little disheartened because he, he seems to be sceptical to the survival of Hitler. But that's okay. That doesn't that's matter. his prerogative, but but then I'm thinking if he's shutting down on such an obvious thing, maybe he's shutting down on other stuff too. But you see, but that's a mistake, Al, and this is the point. Mm-hmm. I can have, for example, completely different ideas of how Borman got here. Some will say a sub, some will say that. That's not important. That's, true. that's not important. That's true. And if we focus on that, we're not going to move forward. And as you said, well, Tony doesn't believe about Hitler. It doesn't matter, Al. If you want him, bring him on for the financial stuff. Mm. That's okay. You recommend him. That's enough. I think he's the man to talk to you about Solomon and what's his name and Dulles and all that stuff. He knows his shit on okay. that. Because he's also been following the Bilderberg organization. He's even been to the Bilderberg encampments. Wow. And he's a very good journalist. He was former BBC. Mm. He was also the head of the trade union for the National Union of Journalists. He's a really good journalist. So he's not just one of these guys that go out there and say they're a journalist, you know. Mm. It doesn't matter if he is 
oh gosh, of course he died in the bunker. Okay, Tony, that's fine. But Tony, tell us about what you know about Bilderberg. Mm. Tell us what you know about the financial trails. No, I see your point. So, see my point. Very so, well taken. This is oh, good. So that's what everybody needs to think about. And this is also what we need to do on a political spectrum. I mean, look at that silly guy. The other day, we made this lovely human bond. And in 10 minutes, he said, I'm not talking to you. 10 minutes before he's saying, send, you know, like a digital hug, blah, blah, blah blah, 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 digital hug, let's meet for a coffee. And you know, you've got lots of people here that can give you the advice on this and this and this. And 10 minutes later, he said, I'm defriending you because you're anti-Semitic. I mean, how stupid is, how stupid is that? How sad is that? Uh, he probably does. And then they talk about bigotry. So we have to, it's about tolerance. We need to accept that we can have differences of opinion yeah. and we may not all agree. No. I, on the Hitler thing, I do not believe he committed suicide in the bunker. One, because I think he's too much of a narcissist. Um, and two, there was no way he's going to run. I mean, I mean, if, as long as they have the possibility to. Well, yeah. If he were serious about, about building the Reich, why would he give up? And by the way, we know they lay plans. We haven't talked about it today, but we've been talking about it with yeah. others before. This wasn't like a desperate... Uh, they, they had the plans ready long before the war. Of That's uh, economically, and but even plans of how to uh, get people out of there. So, of course uh, they did. So when you say the British extract, extracted him, then uh, uh, probably that was uh, not a part of their plan. Uh, I mean, the Germans. So that must probably have been against Bormann's will. Or do you think he was in on it? Hitler? No. No, no, Bormann. When the British took him. Because I think Bormann could have gotten out without... Bormann was a typical money man. He was a whore. It was about mm. business. He, he, Let's do business. Why wouldn't they do business? I mean, they just get on with it. But you, you, you think the Americans was not aware of this originally? I think they knew, but I think maybe they might have been put over the bent backwards in that Churchill might have said to them, okay, back off, you know nothing, because remember, you've got Barbie, mm. you've got Reinhard Gellin, mm. you've got Operation Paperclip, because I don't think the Americans really, really understand how many of these chaps were taken in and then made uh, heroes in the community. I mean, the V2 rocket. Mm. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm wondering about his uh, movements when he's loose. Uh, do you think, and I don't know, do you have any evidence or circumstantial evidence or, or, or signs or whatever of his movements until his death? Circumstantial evidence, he was, he spent a couple of years in Argentina, mm -hmm. but he was constantly crossing over to Chile to Brazil, to Paraguay. So he was moving around. Yeah. He wasn't really static. He was he was busy, obviously, doing stuff. Yeah, he was very busy. He mm. was in and out. And of course, there, he's not stupid. You don't sit the sitting duck. You're not going to sit there. You've got to keep moving. And he, particularly after the Mossad kidnap, that's when they all did the bunk. That's where Argentina became a no-no place. Because right. they knew they no longer had the protection here. Hang on, hang on. Wasn't there a coup against Perón? Well, I think there was actually, and and if Peron was removed, then he wouldn't be safe. No one of them would be safe anymore, right? Well, the thing was when um, the kidnapping of Eichmann took place, it was completely without the knowledge of the Argentine intelligence services, mm. 
And there was a lot of anger at the time. You talk about the coup d'etat in 62. Mm. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, there, there were various coup d'etats in, in bloody Argentina. I mean, they do it all the time. Yeah, but the, th- the point is that Perón wasn't constantly in charge there. There were periods where he no, wasn't. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And at some point, they attacked uh, Colonia Dignidad. And people to, to get from Colonia Dignidad, they went over to Argentina. But the thing is that if they don't have their people, I mean, they were safe under Pinochet in Chile and they were safe under Perón in Argentina. But if they don't have the, the, their protectors anymore, then they need to change bases, right? They have, need to move about. So I was just wondering if uh, the if, if Bowman maybe left after Perón was out. That would be prudent of him. Let's think about, well... I don't know. He came backwards and forth. Well, he was in office until 50. So, yeah, I spoke. Well, no. Yeah, but then he came back again, right? So he. he had it doesn't like- matter that he came back and it doesn't matter that he was actually sitting as president at the time because he went in and out. And the last time he was there until, what, 1974, mm. 1972 or 74, I can't remember, 73, 74. Yeah. The point is Perón was still there. He still had his network in yeah. there. Just because he's no longer the president doesn't mean that he cannot protect. Borman Good point. because they have the network the net that network is deep mm. when i spoke to um when i asked the commissioner colotto about this extraction this kidnapping of adolf eichmann mm-hmm. he said it was an absolute they were fuming here at the argentine intelligence services irrelevant of who was the president at the time mm. like how dare you come on to our territory and take someone and it doesn't even just matter about peron they were all Nazi sympathizers. They all admired Nazi Germany. When I say all, you know, generally, they admired Germany. People on top of this. Because they wanted to associate themselves with high technology and and smartness and brilliance and and also this this innate um, inferiority complex that the Argentines have. Yeah. And have always had. And notwithstanding all the money they would get from, from having Bormann on board. Yeah. Because remember, we've also got Richter that came over and started doing his program with Perón. Remember? So they were doing the, their atomic program. I and mean, there was all sorts of things that, that was going on. Yeah. And, and, and I heard that uh, Evita's uh, charity was uh, laundering of Bormann money too. So they had many vested interests. I don't know if that's true. That I mean, that's I don't know. I don't have any evidence okay. of that. It could be, could not be. But it's, it's something that I'm not going to be able to find out. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. Yeah, that's the money trail. So yeah. Mm. So I mean, of course she. Well, the thing was, I was told that she never met Borman. Hmm. Peron met, and he met in this little house that he had. It was a weekend house that was actually given to him by a German. Hmm. And it was by Rudy, what's his name? Oh, my God. It'll come to me in a moment. Um, who was a German who was working here for Perron in the, in the intelligence services. And um, he said that the meeting was, like, not a formal meeting, obviously. It was a covert meeting, mm. um, you know, a civilian meeting. What was his name? Rudy, oh, I can't remember. Remind me. Mm, okay. Well, if it comes to you, it comes to you. But, Rudy, but... it will come to me. Not Rudy Richter. It's another one. Anyway, he was um, came over from Germany and he worked for Peron and he set all this up. Mm. So I don't think she was really that involved with that. This was something. And remember, it's a very macho country. I don't believe that she had all. This, she didn't have all this power. She was just a, 
She was just a, a, a figurehead that was... Used. No, they probably just used... Yeah. If they, if they used it, they just used her. She yeah. probably didn't even know where the money came from. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't very clever. She was manipulative, <laughs> but she wasn't very clever. <laughs> I see your point. But uh, you said you thought he went out in 68. Um, how do you believe he died? What I've gathered from um, second and primary uh, testimony... What they believe was that he got sick and they believe it was probably either pancreatic or stomach cancer. It was something like that. Hmm. And when he got sick, he then went to his friend in Paraguay, who was Mengele. Mengele was back in Paraguay. Um, he would have left here much earlier than that. I'm, I'm saying he probably died. I don't know. You have to think about the state of the corpse, remember. Hmm. People assume that a body turns into bones in a in a few weeks. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it takes a long time. And, of course, it depends on what, what environment it is. We know that. But um, he'd been dead a few years by the time that the bones went into... And they didn't cremate it. Why would That's they... That's probably because they needed it to debunk... They needed it. To debunk the... They yeah. needed it to put him back to where he was supposed to be. Yeah. Exactly. And that's another reason they let him run to do stuff. Like he goes, he's like a transmitter, isn't he? Mm. You let him go, you know where he's meeting Mengele, you know what he's doing, you know who he's talking to. I mean, that's like the ideal to have somebody out there doing all your stuff for you. He's a rate, he's a tracker. Mm. So I, yeah, I believe he went back, he got sick, couldn't get well. He died in Paraguay and then he was buried in the local cemetery in Itau, Itau in Paraguay, where Mengele had a house and it's documented he had a house there. Mm. The beautiful thing is nobody really wants to go there. And this red clay, what was found that the skull was encased in, which went into the original um, autopsy report is exotic to Germany. It's exotic to there. Why would he have this red clay that is local to Paraguay, mm. where he's actually where Mengele was? So, you know, there is just simple, um, simple facts that somebody should be saying, well, no. there's no way he would have got red clay if he was buried in Berlin. Mm. Well, it's not the color of the clay, it's actually the, the, the content of the clay. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you know that, uh, I mean, the way you are painting the picture, they seem a little disparate and like, but I think Bormann had a lot of power after the the war and uh, during the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. And he remember, he's a clever guy. So even if he begun as someone who owned owing his life to the British or the Americans, he would certainly spend some of that money, some of that power, the networks. He had people in NASA, he had people in NATO, he had people in CIA, he had Galen. Yeah. Obviously, he must have tried to build up his own power base. Ah, uh, maybe. And even if the people in the City of London or Wall Street thought that they were on board with him, he must certainly have tried to find some way to become independent. What do you think about that? Um, how are you? It's mere speculation, but it, I mean, it's... No, no, they're all very, very good points, actually. But how could he become independent? With billions of dollars? With, with, with people loyal to him rather than to Americans? Well, a lot of it was gone by the time that he set up those companies. Well, but companies breed companies. Uh, we know that all someone... Right. Of course, let me tell you yeah? something. Mm -hmm. How incestuous it is here. 
I had, when I was looking at these companies, and I did spend some time looking at the inversions, the German inversions into Argentina. Mm. And, of course, as you know, it started off in the 20s. They were coming over here and setting up companies. They, I mean, it's amazing. Acorn and all that. Okay. Big organizations. Yeah. And during the course, Abel Basti actually is a witness to this. I, I'm talking to you some little salon conversation here. Mm. I start to investigate and look at the companies that are on the list in the USA and the Treasury as being blacklisted organizations post-1945 for German money. Mm -hmm. And I come across three companies that actually have the grandfather of name on. When I brought that up in the kitchen with Abel Basti, that we found the grandfather's name there. And Abel was having lunch because he was staying here a few days. Because we were doing the Children of Odessa program. I was going to mention the connections here. Right. And my friend came in and I said, oh, guess what I found out? I was just telling Abel that your grandfather's name comes up with the partners of the P. Dewey guys, the Ridsley brothers and everything. Wow. And they were financing this and in the treasury. And he went apeshit. And he said to oh, me, right. my grandfather's not here to defend himself. You're not mentioning my grandfather and you take him out. And I said, but if I take him out, I am... It, it's like you're asking me to, I'm supposed to be telling the truth about something. And because you're my friend of mine and I have to lie about something if I've uncovered, I'm just sorry it's your grandfather. So, and I have had friends that said to me, Lawrence, that was really wrong. You should have turned around and said, don't worry, I don't, won't mention it. But I couldn't do that. Of course not. And especially not when it's just about the, their honor or whatever. Yeah, because it was going into the research about yeah. different companies washing German money here and his grandfather's name's on it. Right. So what was I going to do? Cut out that company. All right, it was one of maybe 12, but his grandfather's name was on three of them. Was I going to cut out those companies because I wasn't going to offend my friend? That was... Yeah. So... I don't want to go into too much detail. No, no, that's okay. Of course, because he's an innocent party. And in fact, this was actually a, a catalyst to a lot of problems. I see. Because I'm no longer persona non grata because I have what's considered broken the trust, bond of oh. trust, in that I mentioned it to him. Well, actually, when I first knew him, he, he told me that when I took an interest in the investigation here, he told me because his, his mother's father is German and came over in the 20s. Mm an industrialist, and where they went, etc. And they were actually the directors of a very, very big, important company here. And he used to laugh and tell me, you know, I remember when my grandfather had a study in his house, he had a picture of Hitler on the wall. I said, oh, okay. Bear in mind that his father is British. Mm. He laughed He laughed about this, and he'd say, yeah, I know. And And he told me that when his grandfather died, that he remembers in the apartment, these, these are wealthy people, and about three or four gentlemen arrived to remove all his files and all his papers. Oh. Everything was taken out of his study. Mm. Now, I didn't think much of this until I started to look at all the financials. We'd joke about it. I'd say, oh, you know, you're a Nazi. <laughs> and, <laughs> blah, you know, the normal silly jokes that mm. you have. And uh, you're just sensitive that I'm digging you guys out. So this was a real uh, skeleton in the closet. Right. But I decided that it would be wrong of me to edit that 
because of my personal connection because then I'm doing exactly what all the others have done. Yeah, that makes sense. I chose, I never got to the point to do that because the program got screwed up by Gerard Williams of, of you know, there was a case on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I discovered that looking at these companies that Ukigoni had on this list, and I'll tell you what the company is. One of the companies is Cellulosa Argentina, mm-hmm. and they were the big companies that were responsible for the paper. And and also another two companies, his name was on it as a director and also shareholder. But also one of these companies, equal shareholders with my friend's grandfather, were the Rizzoli brothers, who are the Licio Jelly gang, the P. Dewey. So now we're getting connected to that affair. Yeah. Now it's going to get really dark. All your listeners are going to say she's completely nuts. No, no, we, we know about the P2 scandal. That's a matter of fact. Well... It also turns out that mm-hmm. the one who was the director of the very big company was obviously involved with laundering German money and connected to the P. Dewey, the Leech of Jelly and the Ridsley brothers. Mm-hmm. When he died, now the company, one of the companies he was running had one of the biggest debts ever attributed to a private company here in the 80s. I think at the time it was considered a lot of money. It was about $400 million of debt. Mm-hmm. It was bought up by Citibank. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you buy a shell company, you are not going to keep the same directors in there because they are responsible for partly why the company's gone down the pot. Unless it's a facade, unless it's not a real... Right. So they kept in my friend's uncle, who was his grandfather's son, Hmm. as the director. And who is he married to? He is married to a princess of the Holy Roman Empire, Isabella Gonzaga. Hmm whose brother was involved in the Ambrosian Bank in the Vatican. Wow. So I'm completely talking openly here now. Yeah. So you get to a point you say, wow, if you look at this is society here, if you look at society here, everybody has somebody that's connected to this spider. Mm. Because the society here, society I'm talking about, old aristocracy, Anglo-Argy, German, they all know each other. Everybody knows each other. They're all buried in the same cemetery. I won't be buried there now. I have to go somewhere else. (laughs) No, but you know, Lawrence, the thing is that it's the same even in America. And I mean, it's old money, old blood, old families. Yeah. It's a 0.1 percent as the movers and the shakers. And um, it's just, um, I think it's a little more, visible a little more apparent in a way in in argentina because it's kind of its own culture well there's no shame to it that too that too they've been isolated there's no shame yeah yeah and if you go into the drawing rooms of society here today you will still see i know it happens in england as well because i've got friends like that but you 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 go into the drawing rooms here and you will still find the maid in the black uniform with the white headpiece and Mm. who will serve with a silver tray um it's very old you'd think you go you're stepping back three generations mm. the british here the anglo-argentine community speak better english than the actual english do <laughs> um and the germans are very very present here and you go to places here where they're only speaking german yeah i've heard about that you know that the german club and it was so this is why it's been a really big privilege for me to be here because what i've managed to do al As I said, there are lots of great researchers. I've just been very, very fortunate that I really am a boot on the ground, two, hopefully, mm. that has been able to access 
find, mix, get information and be able to be taken into the confidence of certain people. Mm. So um, that's really lucky. And, and but, but what do you do with everything you find out? Uh, you did mention a book that was withdrawn temporarily, but have you done, have you committed books? I've tried to find books by you. Have you done any yet? No. Uh, and I, I'll tell the thing is this, I didn't intend, you see, I'm not one of the boys that, I don't want to say boys, because they're mainly boys that are doing all this stuff, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Especially war history. <laughs> they're always popping books out, another book out, another book out. It's not about doing books for me. It's the investigation is ongoing. And yeah, but at some point you have to share what you found, right? I am sharing and I'm here now, aren't I? Yeah. So there are reasons sometimes, I'm not sharing very much, but... Obviously, I'm getting to a point now that I'm getting ready to reveal. And sometimes sharing is also a safe. It's like um, a salva vida. Yeah. It's um, it's a safety card for me. Absolutely. So I am talking to you about certain things in a way to sort of say this is going on. And um, obviously, if something happens to me, you know why it's happened. And, and so, for the record, you have no plan to suicide or to uh, vanish in an accident, right? Well, this is why I know I say <laughs> you need to be very brave to shoot yourself. You've got to be very, very brave. I do uh, sleep with a weapon. So if they say that, you know, yeah, I do sleep with a weapon because one does here. And that's an, that's an advantage one has in South America. You can keep, and they do in the states as well. But but you know you know that Gestapo people, at least saying they're Gestapo, have uh, been active as late as was it in the nineties? Someone got a phone call. Stop talking about this Hitler business. So... Well, here's the thing. I am. This is another thing. What I'm doing is not an attack on anybody really i'm not attacking anybody i'm just trying to prove a point you, you're trying to uncover truth which should be i'm not a witch I, this is not a witch hunt no. because do you know what we're all involved in this we're all this is why i say to you the goodies and the bad it's not not it's not pretend that these nasty nazis yeah they did some terrible things but we've also done some terrible things we're still doing some terrible things absolutely israel is doing terrible things in gaza They're doing the same things that happened in the Polish camps and the ghettos. Yeah. So, you know, let's not be hypocrites about this. So I'm not on a witch hunt. You don't have to tell me, but you, you maybe have to tell someone who would get... Generally. I'm talking generally, not... I know, I know. But I'm saying that you don't have to disclaim all this. Yeah. Because nobody who's listening... Well, you don't, you know, don't that. know who's listening, but, you but don't know that. <laughs> the average listener would uh, be in sympathy with they want to know right those who doesn't want to know for whatever reasons are the people who who need to to hear that but uh, it's still it's risky because yeah, but you especially that. if you start tracing the money that's when it's really getting risky because that's still a hot case yeah so all the, where where these dead people went i i think that's kind of It's not that anyone's coming out with it by themselves, but it's kind of, it's out there already, isn't it, to some degree? Which dead people, sorry, who? Well, these people we're talking about, Bormann, Mueller, they're dead now, right? Yeah. If this was yes. uh, back in the 70s, it would be yes. even worse. Yes. But uh, I think right now those parts of the story can get out. And you've said many times, I think you said it today too, that your big point is that If we can get proof beyond any 
Yes. Possible doubt. Such proof that even the blind masses who doesn't want to know can't deny it anymore. That's right. Then we can start with the real business, like finding out where did the business and the money go, who's in charge, who took over, all that stuff. Because then it becomes real. Well, then you can actually then imagine that we can say, here's the evidence, he was out. Mm. So let's even forget who took him out, why they took, it doesn't matter. Mm. Mm. The point is then you say, where did the money go? What was he doing? Why have you guys covered this up? Mm. Why have you covered this up? So lots of questions are going to be asked. And then you can focus without being shot down, mm. whether it's Bilderberg, whether it's whatever, whatever it is, you know. Mm. Um, you can then focus on asking real questions. But having said that, as I said, and she is a, a really close girlfriend of mine, is Carol Rosin, who was the the aide to Werner von Braun in his last years. And she told me he was very distressed about the world. He was very distressed about the way things were going. He was very distressed about the state of the planet. Hmm. And he was the one that gave her this legacy. And she, Carol went on to be the first woman that worked in the aerospace and defense a missile wow. consultant, etc. I mean, she's really got the credentials. And what did she do? At a certain point, she took on board what all her conversations with Werner von Braun, mm. and she said she worked for Fairchild Industries. She was a weapons consultant even for China and from Russia. She was the one that was involved with coining the phrase of the Star Wars program. Mm. So she was well, well infiltrated in we have to get carol on here one day if yeah. you want her she's a wonderful mm, we'll get we her love on. carol and um she said that Werner von brown was very distressed first they will invent a false enemy they will have false flag events they will come up with all that this old agenda and he was worried about it mm. so what does she do now she removed herself from the um the industrial military complex she went as a renegade and she worked today battling for years i actually work as her executive assistant honorary executive executive assistant trying to help her to get through to governments that there needs to be this treaty for the prevention of the weaponization of space sounds very crazy but it's going on now no, people have tried that since reagan's days exactly but it needs to be done because once the cat's out the bag it's too late you can't put it back no you can't and this is where we sometimes are distracted in things that are not important mm. and you know and this is going on and this is going on and behind our backs they're putting platforms up there with supposedly for defense and then we're done that's it. it's too late mm. so let's not believe but, but that harry mentioned something interesting uh, he talked about Mueller and Kumler having a meeting at an office in NASA. I believe this was maybe in the 50s or the 60s. It was before the moon. So... Um, My dear, I just realized revealing this Muller thing, this possible lead, I'm going to have Harry Cooper on the phone tomorrow saying, why did, you, why did you tell them in Norway? Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> so there you go. Right. No, I think, I think he's aware of your Mueller thing. Is he? Oh, he might, yeah, well, I did actually say that we think there's a possibility, but he doesn't actually know the details. No, but uh, you haven't go, gone in any details yet. Well, I, I told you more than I should have told you, to be honest. And that's only because <laughs> it's very late and I had a glass of wine, and that's why I said to you, 
loose lips sink <laughs> ships and uh, yeah. you don't drink you don't not my ship yeah yeah well there you go <laughs> just your own yeah damn right yeah okay so you're keeping mine afloat yeah jolly but, good jolly good yeah but no but this is interesting because um I, i'm thinking we can tie these guys even to the jfk murder because the murder weapon was a mouser you are so ambitious Al. no but not any german mouser but only the mouser that was produced for Argentina. So one hypothesis is that they needed some boots on the ground, right? And so they, yep. uh, so Dulls called his old friend uh, Bowman and got some involvement even from them. Okay. In fact, our take on this is that we think there is a huge, huge network that is still in operation. Of course there is. Right? And they still yep. have fascist ideals. Yes. And um, it doesn't seem like there's one, like a number one, like the prisoner, right? Yeah. It, it seems more like a mafia, like it's a board of it's a cabal. number ones. What's that? It's a cabal. It's a cabal, yeah. There you have it. So we agree about that then. Yeah. Yeah. And all these corporations who are still big out there, huge corporations, cartels, basically. Yeah. Who were loyal to Bormann, who Bormann, even before the war turned, had meetings with them. I don't know if you say, when you say loyal to Bormann, he... To, well, originally to the Nazi party, but let's face it, after the war, Bormann was... Do you know what? I don't think they gave a damn after the war. This was money. This is pure business. This is not about... You know, all right, he was talking... He was thinking the Fourth Reich and Mengele. Yeah, but he had control files on them. He had control... He. This is what he did. In, I think it was in 42 or 43. Yeah. He gathered them together. That's and right. And he ordered basically how they were going to continue operate abroad they even started uh, transferring money out of the country now he would never let them loose if there were any possibility for them to go renegade besides he, they put in uh, party people in top of many of these companies so after the war hitler is rotting in the shadows that's right uh, odessa is more or less getting uh, dismantled not uh, Spinner. Uh, I'm calling the Bormann Brotherhood Spinner. Yes, yes. And so uh, then he's starting, maybe he was kept for five years, but at least when he's out, he's starting to pick up the loose ends and start consolidating his power. Look at what he did with Germany. He basically built up the, he looted single-handedly Europe. He's the genius, you know this. So, well, of course of, he is, and this is what I don't understand when people say that Bormann was stupid and he was a no, he stupid wasn't. man. And he was, this is disinformation, if you ask me. Yes, yes. Uh, Hitler would never get where he was, practically speaking, if it wasn't for Bormann, economically speaking. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so we have him here. We have him loose. He's now friends with the British intelligence. He's French with the CIA. Maybe not Mossad, but what could they do uh, very early on? Israel was still fresh, right? Yes, so he's, yes. And he's, he's protected by a whole state, the Argentinian state. So I suggest to you that he started to consolidate the cartels. And at some point, there must have been a power battle vis-a-vis uh, -vis City of London, vis-a-vis -vis Wall Street. Who's controlling who? Big question. That's what I'm wondering. Big question. Yeah, and I, I will not even pretend to answer it today, but uh, I want it out there. Yes. So uh, where can people get your stuff, Lawrence? 
Well, they can't. <laughs> well, you have a website at least. Uh, no, not really. I have to be honest, it's very. I'm not organised like all these chaps are, these amazing <laughs> websites. They bang out these pamphlets and PDFs and, oh, click on here and donate. I don't operate like that. I'm completely focused on what I'm doing. I do have some things going on, um, possibilities that I'd be taking this forward, but we're talking film, you know, television, mm. documentary, stuff like that. Yeah. I prefer that sort of format than books. And because I think people are visually, you can Clever. draw people in much more with vi visual. In this day and age, it's all about uh, visuals on the internet. Yeah, but also I'm thinking even Netflix, you know, they finance lots of very good programs today. Yeah, but they are on the internet. Exactly, they are. Mm. Um, so that's where it is. As I said, I'm not in a situation that I have a great organization. I have to sometimes forego, make choices, which are very frustrating um so there was a website started it was under construction i don't have a website i don't use oh, okay. that sort of there's nothing where people can go and look for whatever i'm on linkedin which is a business site i occasionally drop a blog um, i'll occasionally drop some things and a lot of the time i put pleas out there you know like no but i've read articles of you online i just forgot where oh you have articles about the murder of lady die you have uh, i think there's a ra i think there's a radio I also worked with John Morgan. John Morgan was the the one person that actually examined all the documents on the assassination of the Princess of Wales. He probably um, examined more documents than anybody else on that. He was. Is that the guy who made a documentary? I saw a documentary, and that's when I realised. John Morgan. You... John Morgan actually they featured him in a, in a in a theatrical play. John did ten books on you know the Paris connection, the Diana thing, and. Mm. He and I were actually working and, you know, we were friends, obviously, and I had great respect for him because he was like the definitive chap that knew this, what went down with Diana. And we decided because he was very, very ill, he was had a fatal illness. Mm. And um, he asked me, we agreed that I was going to finish his book, his last book on Diana, which is queued up behind this Golding book. So the Golding book has to be finished. Mm. And so that's the sort of thing I do. I, I do this because I'm really passionate about it. It's a calling, isn't it? Has to be in this day and age. Yeah, I think so, probably. But it's a calling. That's 30 years ago, you would you would be propped up as, you know, investigative journalists were at the top of the pile. But today you risk uh, prison if you're lucky. Well, the thing was, <laughs> I... <laughs> The thing was, I remember, and this is not trying to be immodest, I was probably one of the first journalists that mentioned about the, in fact, I remember when I wrote it and said it, I felt like I was saying blasphemy uh -huh. about 9-11. Right. Yeah, I saw you. That's right. I saw. Yeah, because yeah, I did some investigation on the Silverstein, invest, the insurance. Yeah, you have some great articles about Silverstein. You're at the 9-11 Scholars Forum. That's it. Yeah, and um, some of the stuff... So people can, hang on, people can go there for getting Yeah, some... but you'll just find there's not very much, I don't put much, there's not much put out there, you understand, so... I know, but also on Wiki's books, I see you're present with an article, and you have an article called Martin Bormann, A New Body of Evidence. Oh, well, maybe that that's just a brief, really, to give an outline to the timeline of... Still, is something they can latch on to, right? Yes, it can. I would like them to go to that small 
teaser on the Golding teaser because I think it's important about the documents because I'd like them to see that so they can keep an eye out for that. That's important stuff because it's stuff that we can verify. When we've got documents and when we've got a name and when we've got official involvement, we can say, you can't deny this. And this is one of the reasons we wanted to get the memorial for Golding. He deserved Mm. the memorial, but also... They can't take that away now. They can't pretend he doesn't exist. It's all and now we can spill the beans on what happened. On YouTube, you mentioned that. I'm at your YouTube channel now. And if they go there, oh, you have a lot of stuff here. There they can see the interview you made with uh, George Colotto. Oh, ah, oh, but that is real snippets. Yeah, that was teaser. That was a teaser and the sound is very bad deliberately and it was there for a purpose. It was for networks to pick up on it. To be honest, it was okay. to try and court it was to try and court some finance for that investigation. And it did work because what it did, Hunting Hitler came to me and said, We want to buy some of this now. Yeah. So you understand? And that the what I received from that, then I, I ploughed back into my investigation hmm. for some uh, DNA analysis that I was doing. So that's usually when I put stuff out is to sort of try and court in some way, but I don't do it in the way that they, I don't know how these boys bang these books out. Um, that sounds awful, doesn't no it? No life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't have one either. I don't really have one either, but um, the objective seems to be writing, you know, but mm. I, I'm not, um, I wish I could be doing that, but I, it's not how my brain works, and I find it very hard. No, but do film at least. You have to share with the world, right? So do films. Continue with putting stuff up on YouTube or whatever, and um, that's also a life insurance. I tell you what, I do need. I tell you what, I'm going to make a plea here. Mm-hmm. I need. This is another thing. When you have budget problems, I put actually a posting on LinkedIn that I was looking for a facial recognition forensic specialist. Hmm. I absolutely need somebody who I can trust. I need to present them with a couple of photographs, one of an adult, one of a child. I need to know whether they can check to see the possibility of it being one and the same person. I didn't get one response on that. So those are the things that block me, Al. Do you understand? I don't have an organization. No, but but listen, people, if anyone here is into that volunteer and help crack this huge historical case and uh, there are i know there's uh, software for that i don't know if you even need a person today the software for that no i need somebody independent to do that because if i do it where's the you understand oh she did it okay but 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 if a guy who knows the software at least can no you can't get i didn't actually try to get the software there is a brilliant software that was available that shows you the child, the adult, and they compare them, yeah. but it's not actually available as a download. And maybe if you've got it, it's probably very expensive software. Mm. So what I'm saying is I would look for somebody who really, that is what they do. They are, they have to be, have some form of formal qualification in forensics. Otherwise it serves no purpose. It's a bit like a chain of custody with DNA. Mm. I can't do that. I would also ask for anybody who is in Windsor, Canada, anyone in those areas that could be useful to me who would be prepared to be involved in a chain of custody DNA, that would also be very helpful. Yeah, we need to get that DNA uh, done. Yes, and I have to be, yes. So, you know, as I say, Al, it's very difficult to move. It's very difficult to find things. Yeah, but Lawrence, we spent months tracking you down, getting hold of you. How can people get hold of you? Uh, Twitter? 
anybody can email me at uh, I have some other emails, but the easy one is the Gmail, which is golden eye film at gmail.com. Okay. Golden eye film at gmail.com. So do email me in one word. Mm. I'm not sort of a recluse. I'm very happy to take calls. I'm very happy to have conversations. If obviously people really have something genuine they're concerned about, they want to talk about on this subject, which can be helpful because we're all in this together. This is not my investigation. This is something we all need to know. So I hope uh, we didn't open the floodgates to hell now. You know, getting going out <laughs> with an email. Well, we we'll die with our boots on, won't we? Yeah. I mean, at least. Yeah. Yes. Well, but better, better with too many than too few. So yeah, yeah. Uh, contact her, guys, girls, if you want to help out or if you have something to contribute. Um, she is an investigative journalist, and uh, you take leads too, I guess. So, um, if I have any updates on the Muller thing, I will come back and tell you, chaps. Can't wait. I want you back in the future. And also, uh, what about? Uh, I mean, one thing is Princess Di, but what about uh, the P two thing? Have you delved very much into that? Very much. Yeah, I told you, I, I was very, very interested in many. I mean. <sighs> I think I took a fascination right back when it happened then. And that was mm. probably one of the things that st- actually, no, I'll tell you what started me off mm-hmm. on my path of what I do today. My mother brought me the um, book, I think it was 1982, The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. Wow. And that was... That's like, a classic. Yeah. My mother brought that for me years and years ago. And I was living in, in Rome at the time. And I said, oh, God, that's a fat book, mummy. And she <laughs> said, you have to read this. It's mm. marvellous. If I'm really honest, I think that book and the Roberto Calvi uh, assassination under Blackfriars Bridge were the two key elements that really made me what I do today because I started from them being delving into all sorts of stuff, the Knights Templar, first Knights Templar, and then, of course, Opus Dei Mm. and, uh, you know, uh, P. Dewey and the Vatican, the Vatican Bank. And he's a very nice chap, you know. I'm in touch with Roberto Calvi's son. Wow. Um, very, very sad because, you know, he knows his father was murdered. Yeah, and ritually he's been murdered shut- even. Yeah, his name's Carlos Calvi. He actually left Europe. And we are in touch, and I would say when you're ready, he's a bit like me. He's always carrying on researching. And, of course, he's got the evidence, but nobody's going to publish it because he knows they murdered his father. Mm-hmm. And it was a terrible thing. But it was all very significant. If you, For those of you that remember the thing, Black Friars Bridge, all the symbolism, it was mm-hmm. all very occult. So that was the sort of thing that really started me going. And then, of course, Fascination. I did a series with my partner at a company I worked for at Pinewood Studios on the history of the mafia. And, of course, we got the information really from the mafia. I mean, if you want a story about the mafia, you have to talk to them. Wow. And um, Cosa Nostra, you you know, with the conditions that you don't talk about the Vatican. Mm. Uh, which is a bit frustrating, but you say, of course, and I didn't. That's like you can't mention yeah, uh, and I, the main... No, no, you wouldn't. And, but you know what's really beautiful about that? And this is the thing, and people get very shocked when I say this, about criminality. You know, I have to say, Al, mm-hmm. some of the chaps I met through that organi- old school mafia, mm-hmm. old school, it's, it's, it's changed now. I mean, I'm talking, yeah. you know... 80s and everything the original traditional yeah the the old school if you shake yes i know they're criminals but you know what we've got criminals everywhere the codes this is the thing it's about codes Mm. you have a code you do not break that code you give a handshake 
and you give your honor, you give your word, it should stand unless there is completely no, no way that you can get out of something, you know, I mean, the force. That's just like the Intel guys, isn't it? People used to live by codes. But it's not like that anymore. That's the no. whole point. It's, yeah. it's gone. The codes are broken. Yep. So it's anyone's race. Yep. All bets are off. <laughs> but we are going to have a serious or 9-11 in the future. Um, oh, gosh. I think yes. that, that, that's something I have to bypass at the moment, to be honest. You, but you do not want to talk about Larry Silverstein? I would love to, but if I'm really, really honest, if I go down that path at the moment, it's going to basically obstruct what I need to be doing for Borman with the net. No, but focus on Borman or whatever for now, Mueller, and uh, let's say a year. No, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I have to... Mm-hmm. This is where you have to sometimes play the game. Mm. And you get any trouble with that or Hello? Hello. <laughs> you see, you see they full go. circle, full circle. <laughs> the moment you mention Larry Silverstein, yep, the connection goes down. So exactly. you see my, there's my point. You see that's basically saying listen to what she's saying. We don't discuss yeah. it. No. Uh, I was thinking exactly the same thing. There you go. There you But go. But who knows what the future will bring. What about uh, Lady Di? The Princess of Wales. Lady Diana Spencer. Yeah, we could talk about that in the future, can't we? We can certainly talk about that. We can certainly talk about Mohammed's organization. We can talk about how Mohammed is a, is a really good man and how he's got completely set up. Yeah. And um, how his son was—he wasn't directly murdered; he was indirect. But I will say about the Diana thing. You see, here's the thing: very, very quickly, people assume that Diana was assassinated because she was dating an Arab. That's what they say, an Arab. Mm. It's much more complex than that. You probably know what it is. The thing was, what is the main catalyst for this fake war on terror? And that is keeping. The people, the Palestinian people of Gaza, at, at, in that ghastly situation, because mm. it's a breeding ground for fundamental Islamic terrorism. The the flag, the the challenge on most genuine fundamentalists is because what they're doing to the Palestinian people. Mm. So if you break and open the gates of Gaza and close down that ghastly camp and let those people out and have fresh water and all the things that they deserve in any civilized a society, they lose the place where they can groom and manipulate fundamentalists that are used mm. for this fake yeah. war on terror. Yeah. Diana, Princess, the Princess of Wales, was the most famous woman in the world. And she was just as powerful as Mother Teresa. So if Diana said something, it was front page. When Diana said, let's get rid of these anti-personal landmines, which that was the start They got rid of her because she was getting involved. In st- and that's why they called her a loose cannon. A loose cannon coming from the old thing, being on the ships when the cannons were not strapped down. Yeah. And she got involved and she got involved with the movement and people rallied behind her. People learned mainly about anti-personal landmines in, in Angola and Africa, around all around Africa, because of Diana's campaign. And what did she mm. do, principally due to her and her name, that they actually banned the production of these. And who were the main producers of this? France, Britain, Germany. Massive losses in weapons, okay? Mm. So what was – they knew it's a bit like Hendrix and it's a bit like Lenin. 
Mm. You know, they're dangerous people because if Hendrik said something, I mean, they murdered him. Hendrik said something or if John Lennon said something, it's going to be everybody that follows him like, yeah, listen to John Lennon, listen to Jimi Hendrix. Mm. So when she was dating um, Dodie Al-Fayed, the concern was that Dodie Al-Fayed was pro-Palestinian. Dodie Al-Fayed was the next campaign that Diana was going to do was probably going to be about the inhumane treatment of the people in Gaza. Hmm. And she would have drawn attention to that and she would have swung it. The people demand that Israel stop this and, and Egypt open up on the Rafa border, that they stop this dreadful concentration camp of hell that's still there today. Hmm. And that would have stopped all the breeding ground for these uh, fundamentalists, which are then headhunted. Notwithstanding challenging Israel's agenda or the Zionist part of Israel's agenda. Absolutely. It would totally topple it down. Mm. They need it. They need it. Mm. They have to have these crazy Islamic lunatics. The good enemy, right? Yeah, they need them. Mm. The good enemy. And here's the thing. People say, oh, they inter- no, what happens is, as you know, These are genuine crazies. These are lunatics. Normally, they're very vulnerable mentally, and they're headhunted, and they're taken, and they are controlled, just like Klaus Barbie are a bit different. He was actually directly working for them. Mm. But then they're manipulated and funded their cells by our services to go and do these awful things, to draw more attention, to lose more of our freedoms, to, you know, the normal political agenda. Mm. And it's just really sad, Al. Sometimes you think... You know, when I saw that, and I'm sure as most of us here did, when I saw the images of those children, oh, my God. I mean, I'm a mother, but even if you're not a parent. Which one? I mean, there's so many children. Talking about Syria now? Yeah, the last one, the last one, last week, with those children, you know, gasping. Oh, the gas attack? Little boys, the gas attack, the chemical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, who are we? What's happened to us? It's just, it's just, it's just horrific. Mm. So in some ways, I live in this um, sort of semi-third world country where the internet doesn't work, as you notice this afternoon. But it's a safe part of the world, at least. But do you know what? You don't have, I don't know how many, I don't know how it is in Norway, but I know in the United Kingdom up to a few years ago that due to the CCTV, I think they said you were photographed more or less sort of 380 times a day if you walk around London. It's probably more yeah. than that now. Yeah. Although, consider that between the the hotel and the Alma Tunnel, the Princess of Wales is not one photograph on the CCTV. So, <laughs> Good, point. You know, mm, Good point. That's that's interesting. That was one of the things I raised. But anyway, we'll do that another day. We will, we will. And I, I, I must say, I always, you know, I never paid any real attention to that. I always thought that was like a ridiculous thing. Like, what? Is that a conspiracy even now? But then I saw more or less... What what, what are you saying about, what, Diana? Yeah, the the whole Diana thing. Uh, I think people are prone to dismiss it if they're not uh, putting some attention to it. And But what happened was that I accidentally saw this documentary, brilliant documentary out there. You probably know who's behind and whatever, but I don't remember. The The Killing of Diana, what was it? Which one was it? Yeah, that may be the title. What's the alternative? Is there any other alternative titles out there? It was the one that that didn't, it didn't get E&O insurance and they banned it from distribution worldwide. I think it may be the banned one. Actually. That's right. I think it's a banned documentary about yeah. Diana. Yeah. And that was enough to entice me, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's see what this is about now, once and for yeah. all. So I sat down and 
my jaw dropped. I realized, geez, this is re- this is real corruption, real criminality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So if you, you can elaborate on that, we'll have you back for that. We'll uh, keep Silverstein safe for now. There's so much other stuff to discuss. I've sort of thought it's time to take a bit of a break from that lot. That's your prerogative. Yeah, especially <laughs> as I need to sort of go and get go to possibly Los Angeles for some stuff that I need to get. So I think... And I, I need to get to New York soon. So And that's in the belly of the beast. Well, there you go. The, but you have the articles out there. So the perceptive people can check your articles. They are out there even if... Yeah, of course yeah. they can. But yeah. I'm, I'm not going... There's certain, as I said to you, sometimes you've got to play... You know, it's like rushing in and smashing everything. It works for a day, and then you're then you're screwed. Mm. And we ha- we need to find a balance, and we've got to do slow and sure, and we've got yeah. to we mustn't lose opportunity. And we need to ally. We need allies. Can't do it alone, you know. Yes, mm. yes, and you can't shut down. And sometimes you do have to protect people that may be enemies, may be considered an enemy. Mm. For example, on the Borman investigation, not for any reason, but there are a lot of people. There's a lot of hatred out there. And I could have easily blown some really cheap stories and got them out there and got paid masses for some of the people that have been in touch with me, particularly this lady in the USA. Mm. But that's not the objective. But this is the thing. You've got to protect those people. And it's not their fault. Yeah, if you had done that, you couldn't go further with your investigation, right? So, But not only that, but this is the thing. A lot of the journalists today, I hate to say this, are whores. Mm. It's about making a quick buck. And shills. Yeah. And, you know, obeying your master. And um, it's... it's a Journalists. St- I don't know if... I mean, they find some pretty faces and they put them out to read what they're served. I don't know if that's called journalism, really. So I think it's an insult, really. Isn't it an insult to the readers? It's like television. Yeah. It's become insulting. You know, the BBC yeah. used to be like the flagship of british intellectual programming and now it's just laughable it's an insult to but still people are forced to pay for it <laughs> yeah and you know people there there were there was a few years ago people say okay we should all say nobody's to pay for it but of course they do don't they they worry about it so anyway it's uh it's a mess isn't it so we it we have to stay focused now you can see you see when we had this conversation this evening i've gone all over the place and that's exactly why on the Borman thing, dealing with the the post-World War II German mm. um, occupation of South America and the financial institutions, I have to stay focused. I don't look at the money. Yeah. I try to find the evidence that he escaped. And as I said, when I get there, I'll hand it over to you lot and you lot can find out where the money is. And I'll watch and listen. <laughs> yeah, let them put their ass on the line on that. Yeah. But listen, you have an open mic here, okay? So you contact me. You want it, you That's feel- really, really kind. And maybe when I've got an appeal, like as I said, don't forget anybody, somebody, please, even if you're a student of forensics, mm. in, but you must be gen- not just somebody at home because it's very important because I need credibility. Otherwise, if we... You know, you may be great at it, but if, if you match these two faces and then people are going to ask questions, well, they're not credible. And the most important thing in this investigation is to keep the credibility. It's very important that they can't mm. shoot us down. You never give them an excuse for that. Mm. Good point. Good point. Al, thank you very, very much. It's, it's been, been a pleasure, yeah. And I just want to say to the audience, thank you so much. I'm sorry that I go off on tangents, but, you know, we don't have a real brief. We're having a conversation. And um, obviously... <laughs> 
Are they? Are they? <laughs> yeah, they I mean, are. You've had, you've had guests that are more sort of going off on tangents. This is I... how we do it. Oh, really? We mellow you down with cozy chats and we get all the hot info. Okay. And we edit it into something very, very... Well, I didn't give you very much, but you just get a brief and then maybe well, we can get more detailed on different subjects. Everything is relative. And I will come back. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I hope your internet will be better now that I'm off the line. As long as we don't mention Larry Sieberstein. <laughs> <laughs> or Martin Bowman. That's where it began, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Okay. God bless uh, and have a nice evening. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thanks again to Lawrence for opening up to us, sharing her interesting research and views. Let's round off this episode with a few quotes. The more we do to you, the less you seem to believe we are doing it, said Joseph Mengele. We know the Russian methods exactly. I haven't the faintest intention of being taken prisoner by the Russians, said Heinrich Gestapo Müller. Situation very serious. Those ordered to rescue the Führer are keeping silent. Disloyalty seems to gain the upper hand everywhere. Reichskanzler is a heap of rubble. Is the message wired to General Admiral Karl Dönitz from Bormann in the bunker at April 28, 1945. This clearly verifies that there indeed was plans to rescue Hitler and even that the orders were already out. For more context to this quote, check out our program called an A-bomb for Herr Bormann, where Carter Heydrich substantiates that this message was a red herring to throw Dönitz and anyone listening in off track to his own imminent escape. Now, I have an update for you. We have launched a separate channel at YouTube where you will find short forum clips. These are either previews from pending releases, teasers from old shows, or bonus stuff from our website that are dumped to the public. So even if you subscribe to our main channel, you will not get everything from that. So do subscribe to our new channel. Besides, we need the ratings, where whether you have donated or not, subscribing to both our channels at YouTube is of tremendous help for us. Without boring you with the technical details, it's sufficient to say that the more subscribers and views we get, the more possibilities we get, and the easier our work will be. Also, if you cannot afford supporting us economically, Allowing the the ads on our programs to be shown and preferably played out and even better be clicked on will also help us out. And of course, since we have limited resources, word of mouth is our primary modus operandi. So do spread whatever of our shows you enjoy to your network and at social media. And remember, if you have donated, you can sign 
up at our website and then log in to the Patreon section to access more stuff than you will find at YouTube. A huge majority of our patrons have not done this yet, so if you are one of them, now you know about it. That's it for tonight. Stay tuned for more shows in this series. Until then, I remain your sincere host, Al. Thanks to our platforms and my team. Be seeing you. Number one.